Hello, and thanks for joining us on Inside Maine. This is Angus King, and today we're going to be talking about bringing young people into the workforce in two different areas, logging and truck driving, both of places where we have a shortage of people, of workers, of people that can provide these essential services to the people of Maine and, and to our national economy. And my first guest, I'm really honored to have Jared Golden, our congressman from the 2nd District of Maine, who is from Lewiston-Auburn himself and has been representing the district down here for the past couple of months. And Jared, great to have you with us. Give me your first impressions of being in Congress. First of all, thank you, Senator, for having me on this podcast with you and really uh, appreciate the opportunity and and glad that we're working together on this bill that we're going to be talking about. Uh, First impressions, uh, I've been telling people that being in in the field of politics and and working in in Washington is like playing a game of golf. If you're not good, you get three holes in and you're almost out of all the golf balls in your bag and you want to throw your clubs into the brook and uh, walk off the course, but then just at that moment you might sink that like long putt or hit that long straight narrow drive and it's just enough to sustain you and keep you going for for a few more and and the times that I've had success uh, on some lawmaking that I know made a difference in people's lives keeps me in it despite the frustration, which I'm sure you feel as well. Oh, absolutely. And I I think one of the things, and I've been talking with people in Maine about this the last couple of weeks, we are getting some things done down here. People don't know it because the the news is all President Trump and Mueller and all of those. But we did a five-year farm bill. We did criminal justice reform. We've done a major opioid bill. I mean, a lot of stuff on a bipartisan basis, which people at home are amazed to hear. Yeah, LWCF uh, reauthorization and, right. and other things. And, and so. One of the biggest land conservation bills in 50 years. Yep, that's right. And when I mention it to people, they're kind of, number one, they're surprised, and number two, they're reassured. And I guess in some ways, it's pretty rough. It's partisan. There's a lot of, you know, that kind of uh, gridlock. But on the other hand, quietly, some really important things are getting done for the people of the country and Maine. Well, on, on my position on the Small Business Committee, I'm working on some bills that, you know, they're, they're the types of, of small, uh, not super exciting maybe to the press types of legislation that might find their way onto what we in the House call suspension bills. I think in the Senate you call this uh, maybe the is it hotline. Yeah. Uh, where there's unanimous consent. Unanimous consent uh, because it's such a bipartisan common sense issue. And, and I suspect that I may have opportunities to craft some legislation like that in small business. And as you know, very unlikely that the press will pay much attention if it moves through the House well, on suspension. I, I was once presiding, which don't don't get any grand ideas about that. That was a chore for freshman senators. And one of my little bills that I had been working on came up on the unanimous consent calendar. And so I hammered that baby through in seconds. I mean, I wasn't <laughs> going to let anybody stop that. So I know exactly what you're talking about. And it is a a feeling of accomplishment when you can get a committee of 535 to agree uh, to something, and these some of the, sometimes these small non-controversial bills can do some important things. Let's talk about the Future Loggers Career Act, which we hope may be one of those bills. And essentially, what this does, is, as I have talked to the people in Maine about it, is puts logging on the par with agriculture. It allows families to work together in the woods and pass this tradition and skill and work on to the next generation. 
I think you just made the perfect comparison, and, and it was the biggest reason why I understood that this bill that we've proposed makes sense, which is putting logging families on par with farming families is really, I think, what's at the heart of the bill. This is not something that's necessarily new. It's something we understand in Maine with so many small businesses, but in particular, small family businesses, where I think a, a lot of people very quickly understand why this uh, makes sense and, and how it will be helpful. So the deal is kids can work with their parents or grandparents in the woods in a logging job at age 16 or 17, but they've got to be with the parents and they can't run a chainsaw. That's one of the limitations, which I think is an important one. And, you know, with with a changing, uh, you know, kind of, uh, of approach, and I know this is something that's been going on in the woods for decades, but it's really become a very mechanized, very technical line of work. And I think that for young workers to get that extra two years of hands-on experience while they're going to school uh, with the equipment is really a great help to them and is only going to speed up their ability to take over potentially take over their family's logging operations. And, and I've actually met out in the woods with Dana Duran. You know, some people don't imagine that young folks might find themselves taking over a business like this at a very young age. But if the family member that runs it is getting older, uh, I think you can very quickly find yourself at age 18 or 19 or 20 you know, needing to step up to run the family business. Well, and, uh, people in southern Maine particularly don't realize how even though we've had some closures in the paper mills, but but still, the forest economy of Maine is between 15 and 20 percent of our GDP, and it all starts with loggers. If you can't get the wood out, nothing else works, and that's one of the bottlenecks that we have right now. Yep. Something that's interesting for me, too, Senator, has been going out and, and seeing uh, some of the, the people at work and actually having a forester point out to me land that had uh, gone without having any harvesting for too long, and, and we'd lost some good, valuable uh, wood and, and actually uh, creating a, an unhealthy environment within that forest. And so, Not that, to mention a forest fire risk. Yeah, a risk for forest fires and, and others. But uh, when I got elected to the Maine legislature in 2014, I constantly heard people politically or in the press talking about how the forestry industry was dead. And as you've indicated, that's just not the case. Uh, it's going through a phase of, uh, I think, reinventing itself, finding new products. Well, and we've had some real major investments uh, just in the last six months. Practically every mill in Maine, Sappy and uh, Hinkley, uh, Woodland, Rumford, Old Town is now reopening the pulp mill. And by the way, we're talking about over 33,000 jobs in Maine. Yeah, a lot of good jobs, um, whether it's at the mills. But, you know, I also think about some of the smaller stuff that's out there, where they're, they're using wood products that are, that are made right in, in Maine. I think it was one place that was making uh, some of the uh, kind of wood... Uh, tongue depressors. Tongue depressors sure. made out of Maine, you know, wood. Um, I think someone actually lost that business to China and then won it back. Um, well, that's up in Guilford, I think. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. In fact, they're exporting to China. Yeah. Which I think is really cool. We've yeah. got a main company that's exporting uh, to China and rather than the other way around. Mm -hmm. But the forest products industry in 15 and 16 was really hurting. Susan Collins and I put together a thing called the EDAT, the Economic Development Assessment Team. They came up and we had seven federal agencies working with the industry, with the private sector, and they came up with a plan, a, a roadmap. And that's in the process of being realized. This loggers bill is part of that, but also finding new products. The university is doing a lot of research on that because we're, I'm embarrassed to say, all my years in Maine, I just learned a few years ago, Maine is the most heavily forested state in the United States. 
highest percentage of, of our land mass. I always thought, you know, maybe Wyoming or someplace. It's the state of Maine. And so we've got this gold mine of fiber, and we've got to figure out how to be mm. sure we continue to get the maximum value. You mentioned the University of Maine. The place never ceases to amaze me. A lot of the work that they do with the uh, forest products, so whether it be the cross-laminated timber work. You know, you've, you've been to Habib Dagger's yeah. facility, and the shipping container that they did there comes to mind. It was built for a specific purpose. Uh, relative to national security. But what I see is a shipping container that is lighter, better for the environment. And if you were to make all shipping containers out of this material, you know, composite materials, um, it's so much lighter. Think about our freight liners that carry goods all over the world and how much fuel they would save. And I actually was bringing this up in a lunch I had with the Secretary of the Navy a few weeks ago as an example of some of the ways that DOD can invest in that type of R&D and have an important return on investment for them where they could reap the benefits of the fuel savings for the Navy. But again, to go back to the future loggers bill, if we don't have loggers and then, you know, there's this chain from loggers, truckers, then you get to the sawmills and paper and all the other pieces that come out of it. But uh, Dana Duran, you mentioned, who's the head of the, the logging contractors of Maine, he's a big supporter of this bill. And it's it's sort of funny. I enjoy telling people I'm the chair of two Senate caucuses with the same guy, Jim Risch, who's a Republican senator from Idaho. And the two are, one is the Working Forest Caucus, and that's where this bill came out of. Jim is a co-sponsor. And the other is the semiconductor caucus. Mm -hmm. And I love the idea of working forest and semiconductors because Idaho and Maine both have, have both. Uh, and that's, that's where this, uh, the, the, uh, the future loggers bill came. It came from Dana Duran and people in Maine. But uh, I think we've got some bipartisan support and hopefully this will be one that we can, we can uh, keep moving. Well, I know that I'll, I've been uh, asked to, to come in and talk to the, the folks in the House uh, Education and, and Labor Committee and um, you know, I think that they, they start in a place of wondering why would we, you know, create some kind of uh, exemption uh, here. But uh, again, just getting back to that point, this is this is a very much a, a family operation and just like farming. Um, and and uh, Maine seems to these days always lead back to issues and concerns about workforce. Uh, if you don't have the people there to, to build it uh, or in this case to, to cut it, then we can't reap the benefits and, economically. And it's a high-tech business today. It's not a couple of guys with chainsaws. It's These are these million-dollar machines that are a lot of technology to operate that do the harvesting and move the wood and, and those kinds of things. And it, and it takes training and experience, and that's what we're talking about. Yep. Boy, has it changed. Uh, Troy Jackson's uh, father-in-law uh, up in uh, the Allagash has a museum. Uh, it's a chainsaw museum, by the way. Wow. Uh, made me think uh, of this visually is uh, how far it has changed because he has chainsaws that go back, you know, Hundred hundred plus years, you know, and and um, it's it it's it's an interesting place if you ever get to visit it. Uh, right up in in the Allegash, and you go in, and he's he's just got them all out on display, and and you can see through the years how logging changed, and right up to this moment now, where we have these these you know big mechanized units. Well, and the key, as you said, is we we've got to diversify. You mentioned the University of Maine. One of the cool things they're working on. We've all heard of three D printing. And if you, th you don't really think about it, but when a 3D printer spits out some substance to make a, a car part or whatever it is, one of the pieces of work they're doing at, at Orono, working with Oak Ridge National Laboratory in, in Tennessee, 
is 3D printing using wood-based, fiber-based material. So the material that the printer spits out is an inelegant way to put it, but that's what it does, would come from the forest. There's a whole new world of products that heretofore have been made of plastic that are renewable, all of the good things, plus it creates additional value for the main forest economy, which is so important, particularly in your district. Well, listening to you, Senator, talk about all these different products, and I've thrown out a few too, I, I hope it encourages young loggers to realize that there is a future in this work, and they love doing it. They love uh, being a part of the family business, and you know, although they might not be impacted by this bill, for other young folks who might think that they would be interested in this, I hope that they you know, ignore the, the negative headlines and, and realize that with the right types of investments from, and, and support from, from people like us and from Congress, main forest products can grow, be successful, and there's going to be good jobs there for people. Good jobs, and I think there's a good future. Again, We've got this fiber, and it's very valuable for a whole lot of uses, and we're finding new ones all the time. And uh, hopefully you and I are going to be able to get this bill through, and it'll help the industry. Well, Congressman Golden, Jared, great to have you here. Congratulations on uh, your election, and uh, we'll continue to work together. As uh, I was at a meeting with Susan Collins a few weeks ago, and I, I think it's important for people in Maine to know that whatever our political parties or anything. When it comes to Maine, we're one very tight-knit group. It's It's been uh, great to be a part of the team. Congratulations to you as well on, on your re-election. And the, the whole delegation does work well together, and I think Mainers expect it. I was explaining that most people don't come by my office and identify themselves as a CD1 or CD2 uh, resident of Maine. It's just a, a Mainer that's come to talk to their elected officials, and, and they don't really care uh, you know, if you're from their district or not. And if your office is anything like mine, Whoever greets them at the door, the first thing they say is, now, where are you from in Maine? <laughs> I'm sure you get that. And Asia, your chief of staff, can say, well, I'm from Sedgwick. That's so, right. Well, That's right. Uh, great to have you with us, and, and uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to working together. We'll, we'll uh, work on this bill and others. Thanks for joining me. Thank you so much. Welcome back to Inside Maine. We had a great conversation with Representative Jared Golden about loggers, young loggers, family members being able to work in the family business, currently prohibited by regulation. And this is something that's important to that industry in the state of Maine, which of course is the logging industry, is the basis of the whole wood products industry. They got to get the trees out. Uh, before we can start uh, doing value-added things with them. My next guest is Brian Park, who's with Maine Motor Transport. And we're going to talk about a very similar issue with young people and the driver shortage. Brian, let's start with that. Every business I talk to in Maine tells me the biggest problem they have is qualified workers. Absolutely. And trucking is no exception. Tell me about the problems that you guys are facing. Well, first of all, Senator, we appreciate you talking about this, this very important topic. Workforce development, whether it's, it's truck drivers or diesel technicians, is the most consequential issue that's facing trucking right now, and you're absolutely right. But the, the problem is that it's, it's not just a trucking issue, you know, and we don't think that ours is the only heavy industry finding it difficult to find a qualified workforce. You know, the construction industry, the, the woods products industry, as you and Congressman Golden just talked about, you know, we're talking to the oil dealers, HVAC contractors. Everyone's relatively in the same boat. Trucking is a little bit more unique because of the CDL licensing requirements and the insurance experience thresholds that are pretty strict. 
Well, now in the state of Maine, as I understand it, you can drive a, a, a truck at age 18, but you can't cross the state line. And that's what this bill is talking about, is uh, allowing uh, younger drivers with extensive training, we'll talk about that, with safety uh, requirements and, and a lot of uh, protections. But that's really what we're talking about, is simply saying that a, a driver who can go from Portland uh, to Kittery can also go from Portland to Portsmouth, right? Yeah, yeah. In in Maine, you can get your your CDL learner's permit at 16, and once you get your license, you can drive an intrastate commerce uh, until you're 18, as long as you don't go over 100 air miles from your company's principal place of business, and obviously that you don't haul hazardous materials. Then, at age 18 with a CDL, you can drive anywhere in Maine, but you can't cross the border to go into New Hampshire or Canada because of federal regulations that prohibit interstate commerce for anyone under 21. And enter which, the U.S. Congress to try to fix it. Exactly. Which, as, as you had indicated, when you think of it, it doesn't make much sense. Somebody at, at 18, 19, or 20 can drive from Kittery to Fort Kent, which is over 360 miles, but they can't drive from Kittery to Portsmouth, which is only three. So <laughs> freight doesn't know that it's interstate or intrastate commerce. It really makes no sense that all 48 contiguous states have the same problem because all 48 allow 18-year-olds to get their CDL and then only drive an intrastate commerce. Well, and I meet uh, every year with Barry Pottle uh, from Bangor, and this is a real crisis for the industry, as I understand it. They're just not able to find the drivers. It is. Right, right now, when we work closely with the American Trucking Associations on a lot of the federal trucking issues, but according to ATA, we're currently we're, we're in need of 60,000 truck drivers just to fill existing openings, and that number is expected to rise to 100,000 drivers in just a couple of years. And then to, to make matters even worse, the, the Bureau of Labor Standards is projecting a heavy equipment technician shortage of about 75,000 specialists by 2022. So these workforce shortages are going to inevitably have negative impacts on the economy, and, and the cost of shipping goods is going to have to increase. Well, one of the data points I saw was that 65% of the CDL drivers, CDL is, is commercial drivers, right? Commercial driver license. Right, commercial driver's license. Yeah. yeah, the 65% are over 50 today. Correct. So this is, in the next 10 years, it's just going to really be a serious problem because this is a tough business that requires some stamina on, on behalf. So uh, now talk to me about the safety precautions, though. We're not just going to open the floodgates and say anybody who's 18 can get behind the wheel of a, of a huge uh, semi and drive down to Pennsylvania. Correct. Yeah. No, in a, in a nutshell, the bill is going to allow 18 to 20-year-old CDL holders to drive in interstate commerce, but they have to be part of, a, of, of what we call a prescriptive apprenticeship program. And, and obviously, it needs to emphasize safety. And, and, and before I forget, I really want to say thank you to, for your co-sponsorship of this common sense legislation. And I don't think that you would co-sponsor it if, if safety wasn't an important, didn't play an important role in it. So the apprenticeships would be required to complete a minimum of 400 hours of training, and that training would be under the tutelage of an experienced driver, and they'd need to demonstrate competency in at least 10 performance benchmarks. And, and the benchmarks are also prescriptive. And then the participants in the apprenticeship program would also be required to train on trucks that are equipped with industry-leading safety technologies, technologies that have been endorsed by the... Is that like uh, automatic braking, collision avoidance, that kind of thing? Exactly. Yep. It, it, and you, you hit it right on the head active brake collision mitigation. Uh, they'd also be required to have forward-facing uh, video event recorders. And then thirdly, they would be required to have speed limiters set at no more than 65 miles an hour. 
so so this, this safety is, is probably the biggest component to this legislation, uh, and we're, we're hopeful that it, uh, and again, we don't think that this is going to be the, the silver bullet to fix all of our problems. It's just one arrow in the quiver to address the workforce shortage. Well, my, my friend Laurie Lachance up at Thomas College once said, there's no such thing as a silver bullet, but there's often silver buckshot. <laughs> a lot of solutions, and this is uh, this is one of them. And here in the Senate, uh, the cool thing is we've got an incredible cast of co-sponsors. Todd Young, who's Republican from Indiana, John Tester, Democrat from Montana, Tom Cotton, Republican of Arkansas, Jim Inhofe, who's a Republican, uh, Oklahoma, Joe Manchin, Democrat of West Virginia, Jerry Moran, Republican of Kansas, and King. Nobody knows who that guy is, but uh, <laughs> but it's a it's a good bipartisan group, and that's how we get things done down here. Absolutely, absolutely, and, and and again, we're we're looking for this to be to be one component. We're, we're obviously, as an industry, this being the biggest issue that that's that's facing our members. Uh, we're looking at other things as well. You know, getting young drivers involved, uh, going reaching out to the high schools. You know, engaging and expanding our recruiting pool to include you know females. This has been a male-dominated industry for a very long time, and there's there's no reason that that females shouldn't consider getting into the as a profession as a as an initial profession or as a, as a, as a something to, uh, you know, if they're unhappy in their, in their current job, to consider a career in trucking. Well, and the other thing, and this is sort of what we were discussing about the logging, uh, trucking is sort of a basic infrastructure industry in the sense that all those products that we make, whether it's plywood or paper or computer chips, they all got to move over the ground. And trucking and, and trains are the way to do it. And trucking is the dominant uh, source in Maine. So it's it's really a sort of fundamental building block of our state economy. Absolutely. And anybody that's you know looking at a, at a career that's transferable, I have a daughter that's that's looking to be a teacher. She's going to start getting going. She's going to go to St. Anselm College next year to to get her teaching degree. And as I told her, you can take that in any state. You'll have to, you'll likely have to take a test in that state that you want to go to. But with trucking, it's federally regulated. So your CDL is going to translate to a meal ticket any place you go. How's, uh, aside from these issues, uh, the trucking industry healthy in Maine, doing well? It, it is. We hear from a lot of our members that it's doing so well that if they had qualified drivers, they could expand their workforce, you know, tomorrow. Don't you hate hearing that, boy, when somebody says, I want to hire more people and add Absolutely. to the main economy, but I can't find them? Absolutely. Yep. yep. Well, I really appreciate your taking the time, Brian, and uh, please give my regards to, to Barry and, and his daughter and all the other uh, people that are working so hard in the, in the industry in Maine. And we're going to see what we can do with this bill. As I say, it's a good start to have that bipartisan group. And, and it, uh, I want to emphasize the first question I asked when people came to me and said, you know, why don't you support this was, well, what about safety? What are the, what are the indicators? What's the data? And uh, I'm satisfied that the protections built into the bill won't compromise safety. And I think it's important to point out that really what we're talking about is simply extending to interstate drivers rules that have been in place in Maine for years without a noticeable issue. Correct. Yep. And that's all we're looking for. And our members wouldn't support it if safety was compromised either. So as always, Senator, we thank you and, and always appreciate your support. Glad to work for you, man. And uh, come see me when you're down here and uh, good luck. Maine Motor Transport has always been uh, one of the great groups in Maine that's uh, working hard to keep our economy going. And I really appreciate your taking the time to join me today. Brian Park, thank you. And I want to thank again, Representative Jared Golden. And uh, thanks for joining us on Inside Maine. We're talking today about jobs, the economy, 
and getting young people involved in creating wealth and value for the state of Maine. Happy to work with great people like Brian and Jerry Golden. That's it for today. See you next time.